0: The grand original internet, the the wood wide web of the underground known as mycelium. So mycelium is the roots of the mushroom. It's this white thread-like web. And this allows other plants to communicate with each other to pass messages. If one's being attacked by disease, one tree for instance, it will then send signals to other trees to alert them so they can build resistance to that disease. So it's an insanely intelligent system that we really are only just starting to grasp. But that's nature's internet. It grows and it adapts to its environment, and then it passes messages on about that. But what it does specifically with plants is it allows them to extend their root structure. So you'll have a plant, you'll have its root structure. The mycelium will attach to this. If you imagine you're holding a stick and you can reach further because you have a stick with the mycelium, it allows the tree's roots to extend further and grab nutrients from further away. And in exchange, it's almost like a business transaction, the, the tree will give starches and sugars to the mycelium. That is mushroom expert and co-founder of Lifecycle,
1: julian mitchell and this is episode 284 of the Osher ginsburg podcast And welcome to the Osher Ginsburg podcast. Hello, I'm Osher Ginsburg, and this is episode 284 of the show with Julian Mitchell. You can find about more about him and the things that he does with mushrooms. Lifecycle.com. dot com. More about Julian in just a moment. If you knew, what is this podcast? Well, for, for a start, it's my show. I'm Osher. Hi. I work on the telly. Sometimes I count roses. Sometimes I write books. Sometimes I, I lift up a heavy thing at the gym and I put it back down again. Uh, I only eat plants. I'd like to drink coffee. Sometimes I ride my bicycle. Sometimes on the road. Sometimes on a weird thing that looks like something you would put a small mammal on at the pet shop. Where I take the back wheel off my bike and and just pedal in no specific direction. Um, I was born with a different brain. I wrote a book about it. Uh, And how when my brain broke and how I got a lot better. And um, I try to stay better. And uh, that's what this podcast is all about. This podcast is a conversation that you get to be a part of, and it's a conversation that uh, hopefully will make today a bit better than yesterday. Hopefully you will hear something today that will make you go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Didn't think about it that way before. And that's it. That's all we're here to do. Thanks to everybody that sent in a, pr- a, a fantastic picture of where they're listening. Uh, I like to call it a podsy, like a selfie, but a podsy. It's a picture you use. You take a photo on your phone of where you're listening right now, what are you looking at, and um, just shoot it in. Um Uh, We're being listened to on the beaches of Exmouth in West Australia, the airports of Europe, and the gardens of suburban Melbourne. Uh, It's brilliant to be listened to wherever in the world you are listening. You can either shoot them to me on an email, at gmail.com or tag me on Instagram. Uh, Speaking of Instagram, uh, as you know, I've taken Instagram off my phone, and I now have someone looking after that for me, which is great. So if you send me a DM, you'll probably get a lovely message saying, hey, he doesn't check these um, and getting you to email instead if it's something important. I'll still check in there and I'll still post and I'll still comment and stuff, but I'll do it via a laptop. I just had to remove myself from the immediacy response trigger loop that I was trapped in, which I was unable to reach escape velocity from. So, uh, yeah, if you do want to get in touch with me, email's best. Um, but yeah, I'll still pop in there. You just, I just won't get in there. So the same goes for the Facebook group. I, I can only check all that stuff on a laptop now. I can't check it on my phone, so I don't get it to. It's, it's not immediate. I'll, I'll try and get to it, you know, whenever I can. But please be patient. Speaking of uh, getting to work, um, I, sh- I, sh- I am recording this before the election, and um, so by now you'll know who has won the election and whichever team won, if it's your team or someone else's team. My team, I don't don't care. Someone's team won. I pretty confidently can say that the world is still here. So you might be sad that your team didn't win, but whoever it is, we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do. So let's listen to each other. Let's get to work. You heard the conversation with Jimmy on on Friday. Let's get to work. Uh, Speaking of getting to work, uh, thank you very much for leaving. Reviews on iTunes. That is a. That's pretty much the best thing you can do to help us out here on the show. If you want to uh, help us out, because when you will re- rate and review, if you sorry, if you subscribe and rate and review on iTunes. I know you listened on Android. I know people listen on Spotify. I know people listen just on their on their desktops in labs all around the world. Um, but the Apple iTunes chart seems to be the the main metric that people who book the bigger guests on the shows look to. When they want to see where to put their guests and where to put their, you know, who's worth their time when they come to Australia. So, uh, the more subscriptions, ratings, and reviews I get there, pumps us up the charts, and that helps get better guests on the show. So, if you want better guests on the show, if you're on an Apple person, go over there and leave us a rating and a review. Uh, A big thank you to Charlie seventy four who wrote Osha Reviews, a wide range of interesting guests. I've learned so much about how to make my life what I want it to be. I'm healthier, more motivated, and aware of what I'm doing and why. He's entertaining, real, and honest about his personal struggles. I had no doubt this podcast has helped an enormous amount of people to make today a bit better than yesterday. It's my absolute favorite podcast. I can't wait to hear more. World well on Osher. You're an inspiration. And you know what? Clark Charlie 74 you're an inspiration too. Thank you so much. I didn't do any of that work, man. You did all that work. So good for you. A lovely one from Nick Redfern, an absolute must listen. I was relatively late to the podcast party last year, but Osh's is one of the first I discovered that had me hooked. Forget everything you think you know about the Australian Idol and Bachelor Host and embrace getting to know easily one of the most interesting and honest voices in Australia at the moment. As promised, I learned something new to take into my life every single episode. Well, that's really awesome, Nick. Thank you so much. And, uh,. <laughs> Uh, Elfie Mama has written, I like listening to two things, the voices in my head and this podcast. Five stars. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know who that is. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That really helps us here on the show. Okay.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years.
1: Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. So let me tell you about my guest today. Julian Mitchell is the co-founder of the mushroom cultivation company Lifecycle, C-Y-K-E-L. You can find out more about him and the work he's doing at lifecycle.com, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L. Julian's an interesting guy. He used to work in the mining industry and had a moment where he went, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something different. I want to do something very different. Um, Something that would put people more in touch with the food they ate and something which would allow recycling of food and waste products in a sustainable way. Lifecycle, his company, have made some heavy-heating friends, and in a couple of days they're partnering with Virgin Airlines on World, Environment De- on World Environment Day to divert the coffee waste from their lounges away from landfill and use that coffee waste instead to grow mushrooms, which will eventually return to the menu in the Virgin lounges. It's a beautiful cycle. It's a circle of life. Uh, Julian, he's, like I said, he's an interesting cat. This conversation's different from a regular podcast that I do. The vibe's different. I'll tell you right now. It sounds like you think it will. Two guys nerding out about mushrooms. So imagine a conversation about two people talking about mushrooms. That's his conversation. It's interesting. Hopefully, it gets you thinking more about where your waste goes, where you get your food from, how you might reduce one and increase the other. It's pretty interesting stuff. I'm glad we can make it happen. Enjoy this conversation with Julian Mitchell. I'm so stoked you're here because we got connected through our mutual friend, Simon Hill, and um, I started doing some research into what it what is you're about. I'm just I'm fascinated, obviously, with like every medicine came from food initially and then we started to create things and that, you know. Sort of, but I'm fascinated with this idea of this kind of uprising in in mushrooms as a way of not only healing but also enhancing what we can do. As human beings, absolutely. Um, well, well, firstly, are
0: you from this part of the world? Are there mushrooms in your backyard? Like, where do you? Where did you grow up? Grew up uh, in southwest of WA, so down sort of on the on the trajectory towards Margaret River is a town called Harvey. So, a small country town, mm-hmm. um, predominantly based around oranges, agriculture, mm-hmm. um, a bit of beef down there. So that's sort of the the agricultural industry down there, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's so I grew up in the country. And
1: I guess, you know, you like me, was like mushrooms are this one thing that it looks like one thing and we get it at the supermarket and that's it. Absolutely. Four years ago, uh, I didn't know anything
0: about mushrooms. What was um, your moment? What was your... The moment was looking at, uh, you know, I was a physio by trade and working in that line of field, but just sort of thought, you know, uh, what else is out there in terms of the future of food? And like you just said, the future of maybe how we uh, exist in some ways. That sounds quite... Macro thinking, but mushrooms really can do more than be a delicious ingredient on a plate, and so sort of that's where we've gone and we saw that you know three four years ago that just like medicinal cannabis, medicinal hemp for you know building materials, clothing materials, um, energy sources, food sources, potential medicine sources, the same is with mushrooms, I think to a much greater scale yeah and we'll see that in the next ten years they mushrooms have a a long history though of <laughs> They would have called it
1: magic because it, it did things out of the realm of human power or influence. But mushrooms have had a long history of of being eaten to create different states within the
0: human body, haven't they? Absolutely, uh, they've been you know tracked back to to nine thousand years ago in in North Africa, in terms of ritual ceremonies, um, you know, used in religious ways, and even in Spain, six thousand years ago, there's there's evidence of that. So throughout human history. There's different stories, not only in those settings, but in settings of survival. So, an ice man in northern Europe, uh, or in northern Italy, in fact, um, was using a mushroom called the Armadou mushroom to keep fire alive from from going out. So, you would keep the fire within this within this mushroom shape, and it would enable the fire to to keep burning as an ember. Right. And this has been found on 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 those these bodies, on these skeletons that they've found. You know what they had on them in their in their rack sack. right? and their you bat utility belt, exactly. They what what did they have on the toolkit? Yeah, they had yeah. some mushrooms. <laughs> That's a mushroom. Has <laughs> so, <laughs> they've sort of been interwoven throughout history. Yeah. And it's fascinating. Yeah, um, and so it, I think it's an important part of evolution. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite musicians was in my college. Actually, John Cage. Wow. He was yeah. He
1: was all over it. He was right right into it. And and certainly, you, you mentioned the the ritualistic and shamanistic use of of mushrooms as a way to induce states where now we might call it, oh, that's just all your serotonin ever being released all at once. So you have this ecstatic sensation. But if you say, oh, we're going to do it within this ceremony and say, and now God's going to come into your body, as far as you're concerned, God's coming into your body, mm-hmm. you know, but it's it's just, you know, it switches being flicked in your brain and giving you giving you this thing. And that's, and that's happened for many, many, many years. About what time did – the use of mushrooms. I mean, it got a bit of a bad rap. I think in mm. the, as people started going
0: fossicking in the woods and eating things, and <laughs> well, there's some tr- cases of poisonous mushrooms, and, yeah. and families passing away. And there was a recent one in in Europe where uh, you know a family went out to celebrate the dinner in a Michelin star restaurant and and consumed the mushroom that wasn't cooked properly and, and passed away. Oh, so good Lord. These uh, very outlier stories yeah. capture a lot of media and then that sort of you know sticks in people's mind and it's like a shark attack. Yeah. you know, Even though there's thousands of people going into the water every day, a shark attack is very visceral yeah. uh, and close to the heart. And so I guess that's happened with mushrooms a little bit every now and then. And so that sort of sticks in our minds around that and people can get attached to that. But you know, that's very rare cases. Yeah. Yeah. So when
1: do you when did people start looking towards as people you know obviously in the from about the 40s or somewhere around there, like when we were able to start synthesise petrochemicals and started getting Mm -hmm. like right into, you know, creating new chemicals and creating new compounds and and moving really away from natural sources of something to be explored as a medicine or as a treatment for something. When did we start seeing mushrooms get taken seriously again as a way of of treating and enhancing
0: humanity? It's happening right now. Yeah? The London Imperial College is doing some amazing work and put out some amazing papers in the last five years. Um, there's a a group called compass pathways who are doing amazing work in terms of this space so Mm. looking at research for anxiety ptsd um, existential despair so terminally ill cancer patients you know on their deathbed faced with death um how can you leave this world in a a less painful way Mm. and that's something i think that's important in medicine as well so this research is happening at the moment um across the world and it's exciting it's a a a building of this of this body of evidence which occurred just similar to the hemp and the cannabis mm. and the cbd space and looking at you know how can cbd be used there was a, a huge body of evidence that was built and then that was able to be, I guess, proven and, and shown to the regulatory authorities and going through that process, which takes time and it, it needs to take time so they get it right. And so we're in the midst of that at the moment, yeah. which is exciting. And so, the, yeah, the evidence is building and so that's taking place. What kind of mushrooms are they using in that that kind of mental health treatment that you're talking about? Using the – well, there's 200 varieties of psychoactive mushrooms. And so any of those varieties, using right. a compound called psilocybin,
1: and oh, that's the most famous one that people would people would recognise. That's the magic mushroom.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's in yeah, reportedly 200 varieties, mm-hmm. and so that's what they're playing with. And this is so. I mean, medicine has always looked at natural ingredients and mm-hmm. looked to then, you know, understand what compounds exactly are working on what, all the way back to penicillin, which comes from a fungi called Penicillium, and so this is one of the most prescribed used antibiotics in history. Saved. Thousands, if not millions, of lives throughout—you know—the World War One and World War Two. Oh and God, hundreds and of millions by now. Sure exactly, way. and so this mu- is comes from a fungi. So we've sort of gone in and out of this this mushroom understanding, and so I think yeah, the next ten years, combining it with, with the technology we have and the science we have, we can really um, move forward and progress and yeah. get great outcomes for society and for sustainability and for the, for medicine.
1: When people think of like ingesting a mushroom and an altered state coming up in their brain, it's kind of – it's got a bit of a bad rap, I guess, you know, and we hear stories of bad trips and we hear stories of, you know, that's some – Dreadlocker up out the back of Townsville, you know, running through the rainforest mm. barefoot yeah. or, you know, someone who's put on an eye mask and listening to four hours of Orbital on, on Spotify yeah. <laughs> or, 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 you know, I'm just yeah. going to doing 16 straight hours of rammed dust. That's what I'm doing, you know. <laughs> um, but that's not really what we're
0: talking about, is it? What we, I guess, need to have is that perspective of uh – whatever we take, it's a matter of what the dose is. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, having this conversation around around these mushrooms, it's uh, there's a lot of research out there where they're learning about that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of infield experiments taking place in the 70s and the 60s. And, you know, that sort of probably, for whatever reason, led to the pulling back of of this research, which was very valuable research for things that we just mentioned, like terminally ill cancer or PTSD, mm. you know, veterans of war. Yeah. Uh, people who have seen things that, you know, just need um, assistance and current medications aren't working so yeah it's it's always a matter of dose and that's what we know with alcohol you know it's just like alcohol it's just like any of these drugs and so they need to be treated the right way and understood the right way and treated with maturity and gone through the scientific rigor and so that's the process we're going through now and by we i say you know these institutions you know these these research bodies and these other companies but that's exciting and so yeah it's the intention of using these, why they're used, and the dose, and that's um, really where it's up to, but they definitely have been misused and misrepresented. mm mm-hmm. um, That's probably held us back a little bit.
1: Well, it's the same thing with, like, MDMA was a re- relationship counselling drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how it was originally designed and what it was originally supposed to be used for was in a guided therapy session uh for marriages that were just about to end. Mm-hmm. All right. And then you had these moments under the influence of this of this chemical that you went, ah that's right. Mm. Ah, and it all kind of falls away and you have this, you know, unbound from all of your behavioural loops experience with the, the man or woman that you're with under the guidance and, you know, the hours long session mm-hmm. and you come out of there go, Oh, why did we want to get divorced again? You're right. We can work all this out. It doesn't have to be the end. Yeah. But of course, then that felt so good. Then probably the
0: therapist went to the nightclub and went,
1: "Man, you got to check this shit out!" And then it was it. You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, so,
0: isn't it? so it's of always course, the balance of of use, and it's really seeing mushrooms holistically as a tool. Yeah. You know, both on your plate, what you're eating, but also from other things such as biomaterials, so insulation properties for for housing. Um, to you know, other areas such as mushroom leather, which some companies are working on and we've been playing around in. And so you know, if we look through history and we see what's caused evolution, it's been the tools that we've created have then created society. If we look at steam train, if we look at you know, internet, we designed the internet and now the internet has you know, changed the whole architecture of how we exist. And so seeing mushrooms in that light as a tool in terms of how we can build solutions for a sustainable world and what we're talking about is in the medicine category, yeah. but there's ten other categories to work on, and so it's a it's a limitless, exciting area. And if we see it as tools and position it as tools, uh, and we have the right intention, yeah. then we can yeah do some exciting things.
1: Well, well, let's just talk about what you know. Let's just talk about mushrooms for food, right? Which is where most people would access this
0: vegetable. Mm. Uh, is it a vegetable? No, it's a fungus. It's its own kingdom. It's a it's a hungry kingdom. So it's it's next to has its own kingdom (laughs) (laughs) so it says a lot it needs its own needs more respect needs more respect it's a it's a a nation state (laughs) it's a nation but I mean you know it's sort of like and that's you know in terms of how we view it on the plate and and in in China it's you know you eat a vegetable and you eat a mushroom uh with every dish there's not one or the other Yeah. So it's sort of seen in that that light. And as we know, they've been using mushrooms for thousands of years and and really attach a lot of uh, important minerals, compounds, amino acids, all of these amazing benefits that the mushrooms have, like you spoke about with the king oyster.
1: Yeah. They're very, they're very, I love eating them because they're a very dense uh, thing to eat. There's a lot packed in there,
0: Mm -hmm. which is super
1: exciting. And I'm also kind of fascinated in that. uh, I don't know if it's just generally mushrooms or, or, or fungi, but is it, there's a, is it true that there's some sort of odd like, way
0: that they communicate with each other? This is the, the, grand, uh, the grand original internet. The, the wood wide web or the world wide web is of the underground known as mycelium. So mycelium is the roots of the mushroom. It's this white thread-like, uh, you know, web. And if you go into the forest and you, you look under a rotting log, you'll see this white, fine thread, and this is mycelium, and this allows trees to communicate to each other, allows other plants to communicate with each other to pass messages. If one's being attacked by disease, one tree, for instance, it will then send signals and send properties to other trees to alert them so they can build resistance to that disease. So it's an insanely intelligent system that we really are only just starting to grasp but that's nature's internet. That's nature's superhighway to communication and to passing nutrients. So hang on. Let me just, okay. <laughs> There's a lot there. <laughs> so it,
1: let's say we, we, we go into – we're in a suburb of a city, so we're not going to find too much forest around here. But let's say we, we find some forest. Let's say we go down to the National Park, mm-hmm. which is a, a few – you know, like 40 kilometres south, 30 kilometres south. Yep. If we go into that forest and we take a shovel into the dirt – yeah. we will see this kind of white, this looks like, looks like it's spider's a wide, web. A white, fine-thread spider web, exactly. Okay. Yeah.
0: And along, this
1: is a fungus, this web this that is we're the, at. This
0: is the roots of a mushroom. It could be many types of mushrooms. Yeah. The roots of a mushroom yeah. that yeah. we might not be able to see. Yeah. So, so you have the mushroom, which is like the fruiting body, which is like the orange. Yeah. And then the tree is essentially the mycelium. That's how it works within the world of fungi. You have the, the roots and you have the fruiting body. And so we eat the fruiting body, but the mycelium is the root. So, uh, okay, so
1: the, the fruiting is the actual mushroom coming up, but yeah. the tree, the trunk, the permanent part mm-hmm. of the of the organism lies below the dirt. Yeah. And along this thing, other, are you telling me that other plants are able to merge with that, cross into it, and send a signal like, oh, no, no, not that fern there, the fern
0: up the hill to the left? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Exactly, and we know that the the largest living organism is in Oregon, and it's a mycelial web that spans uh, two thousand two hundred kilometers. And it's the largest living organism, and it's one of the oldest. It's been you know carbon dated and to be around two thousand years old. So this is mind blowing information Um, but this is the the internet of the forest the internet of the the plants and the ecosystem that helps them flourish through communication and and it's it grows and it adapts to its environment and then it passes messages on about that but what it does specifically with trees as well or plants is it allows them to extend their root structure so you have a plant you have its root structure the mycelium will attach to this and if you imagine you're holding a stick and you can reach further because you have a stick with the mycelium, it allows the tree's roots to extend further and grab nutrients from further away. And in exchange, it's almost like a business transaction, the tree will give starches and sugars to the mycelium. Wow! And farming and agriculture are starting to use this.
1: I was going to in ask, like, does, it exi- does this yeah. exist? Does this mycelium
0: exist in a monocropped field? Like say if we've just got you know, 100 acres of corn? The disastrous thing we've done with monoculture cropping is we've killed a lot of, uh, through fungicides, we've killed a lot of natural fungi. And so what we hear a lot from farmers is when I grew up and you know, when I was on the land and I was a young boy, there'd be mushrooms in all the fields growing and you know, we'd, we'd eat them. And now I don't see a lot of that. Um, because of the monoculture cropping, the lack of diversity, but also the use of fungicides and, uh, you know, the, I guess, the overcropping. So this is why we're now moving towards what's called regenerative farming or permaculture, yeah. where we're playing and working with nature, and that includes mushrooms and fungi. You know? The healthiest thing you can do in a forest is leave the rotting logs um, because that's what the mycelium will return to the soil. Uh-huh. And so it's understanding that life cycle, um, you know that interconnected nature of th- of the forests and is the mycelium
1: is the mycelium mycelium is the mycelium like an underground bee
0: in that it helps the plants you know propagate it helps them survive it helps them get reach nutrients it helps them be resistant to disease yeah. so it plays its role just as much as a bee or you know just as importantly as a bee and yeah. that mighty bee does a lot of work for us above ground and the things doing the work underground is mycelium you mentioned something
1: that you know we're here to talk about mushrooms but you mentioned something that I think it's important to talk about a lot of people might not have heard about
0: regenerative regenerative farming could you mm. maybe talk about that for a moment yeah it's just really around um, working with the cycles of nature understanding the ecosystems and the synergies and between different plants between different crops between for example chatting to a macadamia farmer recently and he has now you know employed owls. You know, so he's got owls, and he set up um, places for for owls to sleep and eat and these things. But what they're doing is keeping away the rats in the crops because the rats would come and peck into the macadamias, and they would lose a certain amount of macadamias due to you know essentially the rats. And so, by having owls there, there's no need for pesticides or sprays. Instead, the owls are taking care of the rats. Um, and which is helping his productivity. So that's one small example of, I guess, just smarter farming and, yeah. and using nature and regenerative farming is about giving back to the land as well. Yeah. Instead of just taking crops from the land, we understand that the quality of our food d- d- is dependent on the quality of the environment it's grown in and especially the soil. Mm. So the soil needs to be super healthy. Super... Think of soil like your gut health or your microbiome. It needs to be diverse to be resilient, but if it's not diverse... And if it's not fed the right things, then that's not gonna help your with your brain health attached to serotonin and dopamine, mm-hmm. which we know now comes from, you know, having a healthy gut. Right. And so it's thinking healthy gut, healthy soil is very important for, for the plants and the nutrients that come through the plants. And so this is interesting with hydroponics and aquaponics systems where they're not growing in soil and how that will play out in terms of do they have as much minerals and nutrients as soil grown food? We'll wait and see. So
1: but there just to kind of like it, – it's, it's beyond what we might think of regenerative farming is, is beyond what we think of maybe cycling a field like this season it's wheat, next season it's corn, next season it's, mm. you know, it's lupin and then we go around again. It's not that, is it? It's, it's, it's making a, an entire almost,
0: I don't know, system within the land that you've got. Yeah, right? because we went through this phase of just I'm going to grow corn or soy or rice, whatever it may be, as much as I can. And, you know, this is, and in as much space as I can, so I'm going to clear all the trees, I'm going to clear everything else, I'm going to make sure nothing else gets in the way, and I'm just going to grow that. But what happens is, you know, things flourish when they're amongst an ecosystem, a diverse ecosystem that complements it, same for humans, you know, there's factors that help an individual have a a healthy ecosystem to help them flourish. Mm -hmm. And so it's building a system that helps the food flourish or that crop flourish, and that can be challenging when you're dealing with monocultures and and uh, you know yields and productivity and all these things so it all has to be factored in but regenerative farming is something that uh, you'll hear a lot more about and is moving forward right i used to go to this farmer's market
1: in la and there was a cat that i used to buy is it chanterelles this big orange Mm. trumpet looking things and he had the you know, he had the beard before the beard was the beard. Like, he was lumberjack. <laughs> He's not barista beard. He was lumberjack beard. Yeah. And he was lumberjack size. He yeah. looked like the guy from Batuda. He was massive, <laughs> right? And um, I say, where'd you get him? And he, he says, I can't tell you that. I'm standing in a farmer's market. He said, but I... I it's, it's about a three-hour drive from San Francisco where he, where he lived. And he said, it's a two-and-a-half-hour hike in and a two-and-a-half-hour hike out to get this stuff. And then he fills a backpack and then he just, he does it once a month and then he drives down the coast and does the farmer's markets all the way down to LA, then drives back up and does it again. I mean, <laughs> and they were the tastiest, the tastiest things I've ever eaten as far as a mushroom's concerned. Yeah. Like that, that, when you get those, those packs, you go to the store and you get those packs of really dried up mushrooms that, mm-hmm. you know,
0: you, you want to make a risotto or something out of. It yeah. was that but not dried. Exactly. It was just yeah, fresh. Good. Yeah amazing and that's good. the next sort of piece around where our food came from and how it was growing and in that yeah. case well growing it deep in the forest yeah is, uh, it's unsustainable though. It's that's like you can't do that at scale sure, uh, I uh, paid like it's 20 it's bucks a luxury. kilo man it was full <laughs> on that's cheap for Chandra I was in Australia <laughs> <you better>. US <laughs> <laughs> um, but wild harvested foods is uh, yeah yeah is but that's wild, wild, wild harvested
1: foods way. while it looks great on an Instagram post mm. while it looks great on an Instagram post wild harvested food is not scalable at all so I like what you're doing in that you know Yes, you're growing it without pesticides. You know, Yes, you're growing it You know, using – you know what's going into it. You know what's coming out of it. But it's you can do it at scale. You can do, you're you not going from this tree to that tree to this tree. You're
0: not hiking for five hours mm-hmm. to try and find this stuff. It's just – it's all there. Um, yeah, and I guess we're using coffee ground as well. So that's a big part of, of how we grow the, our mushrooms off coffee ground. So we're collecting over between you know, 1,500 and 2,000 kilos of coffee waste a week to grow mushrooms, and that typically goes to landfill. And that's another nutrient source that has been grown – you know in one of these other countries where they're growing the coffee bean the bean has been shipped over here Mm -hmm. and then only one percent ends up in the cup and so it's just reutilizing things that have a value that are going and being termed as waste and that's coffee ground and so coffee ground is an amazing nutrient source to grow mushrooms so with all these coffee, look at my knockbox there. Like all these coffee, we're gonna co- go about ten kilos of mushrooms. with that, really? Do I have to mix it with do anything? You drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I there, do. Is, there is a, a bit of, I guess, a, a way to do it. It's not like with tomato seeds that you may grow from a nursery and you, you put them in the soil and typically yeah. something's gonna grow. There is a bit of an art and science mix to it.
1: It's mm. not a seed;
0: it's a spore. is a
1: spore. It? Yeah, it's spore. Yeah. 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 Uh, so when we get because we my wife order is is Fijian and uh, she's mum was Chinese Fijian so there's a lot of excellent Chinese food that happens in our mm. in our food here in the home so we go to the Chinese grocer and one of the things we get is this mad big shrink wrap pack of shiitake mushrooms that's come from
0: China what I have no idea how are they grown at that scale they can be grown in a number of ways mostly sawdust they will be grown off which is again sort of Going back to deforestation and, mm-hmm. and where we're getting the sawdust from, and just looking at materials. But the beautiful thing about mushrooms is they can grow off so many waste products. Yeah, um, they are na- nature's recycler, so they can very adaptable to what they can grow on. So we've grown on, uh, you know, h- agricultural waste such as hemp. Um, such as sawdust, such as cardboard, such as coffee grounds, such as straw, um, and so they're very adaptable. But typically in China, they're using sawdust mm-hmm. at the moment. And is it just like a, is it like a chicken farm? Is it like a massive warehouse that just goes for miles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 90 up to 95 percent of all mushrooms are grown from out of China. So that's where a lot of them are grown. They've been doing it for a long time. And they, as I mentioned, on their plate, it, it's very well known. Every dish should have yeah. mushrooms attached to it right. for health reasons. And so that came from, you know, the top from the government.
1: Where's the big mushroom farms in Australia? Where's, like, big mushroom cartel here?
0: The, the cartel. The cartel there, is a, there is some mushroom farms around, uh, but I guess there's been a consolidation and so there's probably seven farms, one in each state. That's it? Yeah, of, of that scale, of commercial scale.
1: Like the button ones we get from mm, all these are Exactly, Coles. the
0: button or the Swiss. Um, and that's it. And that's, but they're pumping out tens of thousands of mushrooms but yeah we're not really getting access to shiitakes at scale or all these other amazing mushrooms, king oysters at scale.
1: If people wanted to ex- expand their mushroom vocabulary mm.
0: where would you say they go to after the the button which is the, the famous one? The next one? step exactly what The shiitake is a good step. The shiitake or the oyster, which we grow the oyster. The oyster and shiitake are both, you know, um, level pegging in terms of taste profile and health profile. And then from there, you may just go sideways to the king oyster, which is that big trumpet-looking one. It's known as the trumpet, the royal trumpet. And then from there, really, you probably from an edible point of view if you can find some shimijis which you can find and then maybe some namikos, these are very foreign names to, yeah. to listeners I'm sure But and then you've got your range of functional mushrooms also you know referred to as medicinal mushrooms um, which shiitake fits into because of its health profile and health benefits those are taken more so in a a coffee or a tea or a smoothie, was they're not edible, they're really hard yeah. and fibrous, such as the reishi or the turkey tail mushroom, which the turkey tail grows prolifically around uh, around Australia, and, and we found yeah. a strain of this one in the Blue Mountains. And so we, we grabbed a the strain there and then we cultured it back in our lab and, and have cultivated it and um, produced it into you know, an extract. So this is so great. So the mushrooms that we... So there are native Australian mushrooms. So there's native. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just we just really uh, don't know them very very well. They're not part of our culture compared to Europeans yeah. that would go out as families and and harvest mushrooms and put them in a soup or a broth or yeah. whatever they may do with
1: them. So are you are you just on a mission? Like how much of your business is all right? We're going into the forest. We're going to find
0: the next shiitake. Every Sunday we go into church. Really? I wish you and call church it? Church is the forest. <laughs> because it's just good to go out, get out there and be in nature, for one, just for, just for uh, your own health and well-being, just being mm. connected and, and just being away from all the digital. Yeah. Um, so just for that reason we go out there. But secondly, yeah, there's amazing forests in the hinterlands of Byron Bay, um, amazing waterfalls, and around those waterways, waterfalls, um, and in that tropical environment there's a plethora of mushrooms out there, and each week we're always going out seeing something we've never seen.
1: So how do you go, okay, this mushroom is great, it could either be the tastiest thing in the world
0: or you know, I might turn into a lizard if I eat it. How do you tell the difference? Is there a way to test it before we, you eat it? We have a group of interns and so those guys are you know, doing the taste testing. No, not really, but... <laughs> Uh, really what we're doing is just what's been identified and and mapping it against if it's been identified to be sure and and running DNA sequence testing where you send it off to get tested and then it will come back and say what variety it is what strain it is and then you can look through the research because there's a Thousands of articles on these mushrooms. Thousands right. of articles, really, uh, in the medical journals. Around, but
1: you're essentially going and you could. There's a, is there a possibility that you could discover something that people haven't used yet? Absolutely. Okay, so easily. So you are. You do have to do your due diligence in that. Like, yeah. we're not just going to go pop this straight
0: in the risotto. We're going to have to. You know, this could be very, very bad. It's it's like discovering a new continent: the world of fungi, and yeah. you know, from a, a mushroom geek like like the team, a group of mushroom geeks. It's there's things that we don't know um, what they may have benefits for. Yeah. And, and especially each continent has different varieties based uh-huh. on the climate. And so, yeah, that's that's fascinating. And so less thinking about are we going to eat this mushroom, mm. it's more what can this mushroom do, what door can it unlock? Right. Such as the turkey tail is an amazing prebiotic. There's been amazing research on its two compounds, PSK and PSP. Uh, you know, There was a, a $2 million study done with the National Health Institute Uh, in america around using it in conjunction with chemotherapy for breast cancer patients and the outcomes being very good and there's a plethora of research on that turkey tail mushroom and then you've got other mushrooms such as the cordyceps which has been shown to improve vo2 max in endurance athletes but is a great substitute for caffeine and so we know these mushrooms and but what else is out there and that we can use but i think that's part of the journey and and for now as as people sort of start to hear a lot more you know you hear a lot of Podcasts and a lot of media now talking about cordyceps and turkey tail. These will become very familiar names. And to, okay, so let's let's go through these because it's really interesting. Now shiitake, I love a shiitake in my in my fry
1: pan. It's a delicious I love, mushroom. It's a. I love the texture of it. Yeah. I, I think they're fantastic. I, I love them baked. I love
0: them fried. I love them in a soup. <laughs> I think they're brilliant. When I when I find them in a ramen, it's like woo gold. <laughs> the shiitake mushroom has a lot of research around hair, skin, and nails, and has been used in Korean cosmetics for a long time as an ingredient and so it, yeah hair skin and nails it helps promote keratin which is a key protein but also has we're probably familiar with the word amino acids but there's one called amino acid which is spelled i-m-o-n acid and that's a building block for keratin keratin is key for strong hair strong nails and so really what you find is your you have fast growth in your nails um and and much stronger nails with this shiitake mushroom but again these mushrooms are also immune powerhouses and so at their core all mushrooms are great for immunity but then they all have other effects such as improving hair skin and nails with the shiitake mushroom so it's really a beauty mushroom again used a lot in korean cosmetics and skincare for a long time and yeah. and those guys really Put a lot of research and time and effort into skincare in Korea, mm.
1: and I'm guessing you're someone that bases all this stuff
0: on evidence-based science. When we first got into mushrooms, it was amazing how all of these articles. Because as a physio, you're reading a lot of articles, and so you know that that language, which is very dull and boring, and it's you know lots of big scientific words. But there's thousands of articles, tens of thousands of articles yeah. on these mushrooms that have been used in many different benefits and many yeah. different ways, and and so we're not really you know suggesting one does this or that, we're just showing that these mushrooms are are great to consume um, from a health point of view, Mm. a general health point of view. Um, But like anything, uh, the research can be found very easily on Google and I suggest everyone to do their own research yeah. in this Google space. Scholar, if you guess. Google right. Scholar, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. It's, that's, uh, your, that's your friend. Google <laughs> Scholar is your friend. When you see people making claims <laughs> on Instagram, pop that, pop ever whatever their claim is in Google Scholar and you go actually, no, that's bullshit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
0: but, but it's also, I think uh, a blend as well. We had a professor uh, in physio talk about, you know, research and and it's also a fine line where you have to understand where the research is coming from and the biases within research. And so, mushrooms. Who's paying for it, who's, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. There's so many layers there, but yeah. if you can filter that for the audience, that's great. And I've had it filtered for me from our biotechnology engineer and our nanotechnologist who live and breathe those articles yeah, yeah. and understand what's happening there. And um, yeah, there's a lot of research out there, and it is an exciting part of the future, yeah, of mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find there's a stigma when you say, oh, yeah, I run a mushroom company out of Byron Bay? It's uh, yeah, the jokes keep coming. <laughs> and, yeah, we put ourselves in that situation. But Byron Bay is a, a very inspiring space at the moment for eco-friendly, innovative businesses, whether it be in fashion or, you know, companies like Seabin uh, are based there, which have the, the, the essentially the garbage bin that cleans out the oceans. And so there's a lot of these companies popping up and just, for whatever reason, gravitating to Byron because of the network effects that exist there. Um, and, of course, it's a, a great place to, to reside. But, yeah, definitely there's some stigma attached to Byron Bay and mushrooms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you're, you're, you know, you're the one that's going to obviously change that. When You mentioned before, I mean, I can't imagine if you went from not knowing anything about mushrooms four years ago to this, it's been a rocket ship for you. How have you handled the stresses that have come along? it's been it
0: definitely's been, been stressful uh, in terms of in terms of you know doing business but i guess it's uh the ends always just has to justify the means and so if if the vision is is strong that we have at the company and we genuinely believe that what we're doing is you know important work in some ways and pushing things forward in a way that we would like to see things in the world then that justifies the painful moments you have, and you just have to adapt to the stress. The stress doesn't go away; it doesn't get easy. It's not like okay, now we have ten employees, or ten workers, or twenty workers, or thirty workers. The stress decreases; it never decreases. Uh, you just have to adjust to it and do your, you know, your self-love rituals and techniques and self-care to to look after yourself like that. And I guess being uh, working in that elite sport environment before, you saw that, saw it firsthand, um, the huge amounts of stresses that athletes have and how you have to manage that. And so that was, I guess, a good apprenticeship um, to, to running a business. So what does the self-care look like for you? Self-care looks like definitely Sunday spending time in, in nature, in the forest, um, trying to be away from digital as much as possible there. Um, morning sunrises um, with a bit of you know yoga, definitely not a great yogi but just a few stretches. A sunrise at the beach is always nice in Byron um, to start the day. And then just um, what you're consuming in terms of food. Fasting can be a great technique to help um, with thinking and and clarity. Connecting with friends, uh, those things are all very important. I never cease to be amazed
1: by, as someone, I've been plant-based or vegan for nearly 20 years. So, And celiac now, I've been celiac the whole time, but I only found out in May, Mm. so nearly a year. I never cease to be amazed at going down the aisle at Coles and seeing products which I used to have to, if I was lucky, oh my God, I'm in, you know, the one store in Melbourne that stocks this thing. I'm going to get two packets while I'm here because I cannot get it in Sydney, you know, and it cost $15 for 20 grams of it, you know. And then you walk down the aisle in Coles and it's there, there's a massive shelf of it, and it's the Coles brand, the coles own brand, which means they have gone to a company and gone, the market is, does, needs, is telling us that they want this. Mm-hmm. So we not just want your product, we want you to make it for us and, and bring it in. Do you see the kind of stuff that you're working on, h- how long until we see
0: this kind of stuff in the, the you know, the average punter's supermarket shelves? I think it's it's quicker than we realise. It's already sort of happening in in terms of our distribution across health food stores and, uh, you know, interest from those bigger supermarkets. The positioning of it's very important as well, I guess, as to how, you know, because how do these mushrooms use and what's the education there? And so it's just the market catching up. But what we learn from that example that you've just mentioned is that the consumer dictates what those guys do. And so what you do with your dollars counts more than anything. You're voting every day with where you spend your money and what you spend it on. And so from that point of view, they're reactive. They just react to what the market's doing. And you are the market. So, um, you know, things like what's you know, Simon's podcast and these kind of educational platforms, influencer platforms, whatever it may be, have accelerated that quicker than anything. So I think within the next six to twelve months you'll see it en masse. But then of course everything's going digital anyway, so you can get anything online. Yeah. But there's
1: Yes, there every you can get everything online, mm-hmm. but I think that there will always be the supermarket consumer, like, yeah, but I just got to go and squeeze the avocado.
0: I've no, that's it,
1: fair I, enough. I got to go you and squeeze, squeeze it. it. I want to squeeze the avocado. <laughs> I, want to squeeze I, want it. It. I want to squeeze it. Uh, you know, I can get everything delivered to my house, mm-hmm. but I got to go
0: squeeze the avocado. So I may as well go get it
1: mm-hmm. in person. Yeah,
0: and that's connection to community as well, and going and having the experience, and that's sort of been lost a little bit through the environments. Again, very interested in the, how these environments are design to where we spend our time and how that makes us feel. But when you go down to the local, you know, fruit and veg store and you, you, you know the guy there and you chat and blah, 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 and you know how some of it's grown, it tastes so much better. But also at the same time, you know, there's convenience there but I think yeah, there will always, of course, be a space for supermarkets and, and shelf and shopfronts.
1: Yeah, you'll, but your local store situation, though that does happen, you do see it in Europe quite a bit, rather than mm. the massive, you know, megaplex yeah. Coles and Woolies, the 15, 18 aisle mm. gigantor with 24 self-checkouts, right, um, which happens every couple of Ks in a suburb of Australia, definitely Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. You definitely see in Europe that Divided by twenty, but every five hundred meters, yeah, you see those smaller, 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 smaller markets. I've got to say, I prefer the smaller vibe. Absolutely, (laughs) it's still run by Coles and Woolies. It's still run by the same these massive companies that have these distribution chains and these humongous warehouses. But it's, I guess, it's also kind of dictated by the, the shape of the city.
0: You know? It is, and it's, but it's again. Just going back to dictating where you spend your dollars on what you spend. And if you're spending your dollars on chia seeds, then they're going to invest more in chia seeds and and have a bigger range for you to choose from and a, and a better range. And so it's the same with plant based um, options. Mm. It's just exponentially growing. I'm sure ultimately there's the back end of the Coles
1: inventory system that has a colour coding that goes. We need to get more of this and we need to order it now because at the rate it's going, it'll be gone by next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that if it's like, say, for example, an article, you know, say, for example, uh, the teacher's pet podcast mentioned that they were, you know, say the biggest crossover podcast in Mm -hmm. in the country mentioned, oh my God, cheer seeds. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you can't get them. They're on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, in fact, it's Colt all Woolies. They're buying the chia farm. That's what they're yeah. doing.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Congratulations on your acquisition. It won't be long. <laughs> where, would you like to see, where would you like to see the role of the mushroom in our food supply chain, in our medicinal chain?
0: In the food supply, going back to just being on every plate of every meal from a lunch and dinner thing or at least one plate a day, people are, th- are consciously thinking I'm going to have mushrooms on my dish because it's healthy for the planet and for me. So that would be step one is, is eating more mushrooms on a day-to-day basis and then and then just, I guess, understanding and integrating them into your daily life from a health and wellness point of view and an optimising health point of view. And these mushrooms are, are tools, no different to other health benefits that we may have from the omegas and the cheers and, and these things. So it's positioning mushrooms on the plate, it's positioning them into your, your coffee or your smoothie or your shake on a daily basis for whether you're going to go and do some some sport because they're, they're very natural, they're very organic, they have these health benefits. And then beyond that really I guess it's probably paying attention to seeing them play a role in how we exist from building materials to um, you know antimicrobial resistance is a big one with bees and, and bee health so mushrooms can help save the bees uh, and will. A lot of great research out there from, from the experts in the field. Um, such as, you know, Paul Stamets and other researchers over the last decade that have been working on that. And so there's a proliferation of opportunities for mushrooms yeah. and we'll see them weaved into our into our world. But I think for listeners, it's starting with on the plate and uh, into your coffees, smoothies, teas <laughs> yeah. as a good start for embracing mushrooms.
1: What? Tell me, I, I'm just like, how far are we? This is just because only because you know the people that do it. And if you can design it, you'll save the world and be a trillionaire, how far are we from developing a, uh, like, obviously, mushrooms just grow very, very quickly, as you mentioned, how far are we from de- developing some sort of fungus that grows very, very quickly is benign to it's you know uh, it's not going to destroy other plants around it but just is super dense it's unedible but Mm -hmm. it's sole job is to get mega dense to suck carbon out of the atmosphere
0: and then we use it to be some sort of building material or something mushrooms and the mycelium web that we were talking about is is one of the biggest carbon sequestriers, meaning it brings carbon back to the soil yeah so it plays its role in that there's potential there there's, I mean, that's sort of the new economy is called the carbon economy where big businesses or new startups will be built on pulling carbon out of, the, out of the environment. And so can we do that with mushrooms? Well, mycelium can help do that. We know algae um, you know, can do it across the oceans. And so we haven't spent a lot of time in that space. very important, the carbon economy. The mushrooms are naturally doing it. Mm-hmm. I think how, how mushrooms can, can really do it if we want to do it as quickly as possible, is that that mycelial network helps trees grow faster. Right. And so we need to plant more trees. We need reforestation. Yeah. Reforestation is part of that process because reforestation is not just planting trees to pull carbon out of the air. It's giving environments for you know, a range of insects, bugs, birds, bees, everything, You know that whole ecosystem. And so what's happening there if you're planting these trees... If you want, say, the trees to grow in 10 years rather than 15 years to maturity, there's a lot of research to support this. this particular fungis attach their mycelium to the roots of the trees and help it feed nutrients much quicker and faster. So that's, you know, that would be one thing to focus on. We plant trees and attach it to a mushroom technology that can speed up the growth of the trees naturally, and then we're pulling more carbon out of the air. And we're building forests. Mate, it sounds like a place I want to live. It's... Is, is, who wants to go back to the jungle? You're amazing. Yeah, you're going to be... I
1: like... Look, jungle, good. I like flushing toilets and warm showers, man. You'd yeah, do. I'll do the Wim Hof method, but I also like turning the hot tap back on it's, when I'm done. It, it's a
0: balance. It's, okay. We want to be out in, in the forest for half a day. Yeah. We want to come back to a, a nice tea and coffee and Yeah, I want to watch True and...
1: Detective on my DVR. You know, I want you know, to... <laughs> you know, I have refrigeration. You know,
0: I I don't have to hunt. And this is really what biotechnology is. It's like understanding there's going to to be AR, AI, VR, all of these technologies coming out in the next ten years yeah. that change the way we are, but it's also just you know, keeping one eye on natural solutions as well and, and connecting to nature because our DNA is interwoven to that. We mm. feel good when we're in the park. We feel good when we're in a waterfall. When we're in the beach, when the ocean water. So we need to stay close to that for our own mental health.
1: Yeah. Now I'm so grateful you came around today. This has been the best conversation I've ever had about mushrooms.
0: Great to hear. Great to hear. Uh, You're m- on board with the mushrooms.
1: Mate, I've, I've, I'm on board. <laughs> I'm here. I'm with you. I'm loving it. Thanks so much for coming around, man. Awesome. Thanks, awesome. Sasha. Thanks, Thanks brother. So. That was Julian Mitchell. You can find out more about him online at lifecycle.com, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L.com, where you can see all kinds of things that him and his company are doing around mushrooms. Super exciting stuff happening if you're looking in Colorado. He's done some interesting things with mushrooms lately, like mushrooms, uh, something big happening in the world of mushrooms, and Julian's right at the front of it all. It's big. It's exciting. Uh, And plus, you know, here at the ranch, we drink a lot of coffee, so we're looking forward to more mushrooms on our plates pretty soon, so that'll be fun. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you very much to Rachel Barrett, who helped make this show today. She produces my life. Thank you very much to Andy Ma, who audio produced the show. A big thank you to Toe Heide for making all the music you heard today. And thank you for listening. Thanks again to everybody that subscribes, rates, and reviews the show. If you uh, subscribe on Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever it is that really, really helps the show, if you rate and review the show on iTunes, it's super, super helpful. But that's it. I'll talk to you later in the week. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things.
2: Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.